0: And welcome to episode 10 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to debate about who shot first, Han or Greedo. It was definitely Han. This week's theme is Space, the Final Frontier. Today's theme was suggested by Heather, who won our recent Codenames Pictures contest. Thanks for the awesome suggestion, Heather. Today we'll be discussing games we've played recently, like Captain Sonar, Marrakesh, and Star Trek Ascendancy. We're also going to talk about some accessories that can help you save space, some games that take place in or are about space, and the etymology of the word space. And now, here are your hosts. Ambi, Cassidy. And me, Crystal.
1: All right, Amby so what have you been playing recently? I got to play Captain Sonar last week, which I'm is... so jealous! <laughs> yeah, it's a new game that came out this year. It's a real-time team game where there's four people against four people, and you're each in a submarine trying to destroy the other team's submarine. And it's really cool because everyone is a different role. So on each team, there's a captain, a chief mate, an engineer, and a radio operator. And everyone does something different. The captain decides where your submarine's moving. The chief mate like powers up the different systems. You have torpedoes, sonar, some other things. The engineer controls the damage to the ship, so whenever you move, you have to damage a part of the ship and then if it's damaged then you can't use that system but then if you damage enough of the ship it like erases (laughs) then um, the radio operator listens to the other captain and figures out where their submarine is going so the way the radio operator works is really cool there's a there's a clear plastic sheet that you're marking the directions on and then you overlay it onto the map So you can see what path they took, but you have to, like, move it around to see which path was valid because you can't run into islands and you can't cross your own path. So the radio operator is doing that on their map to try to figure out where the other captain is. And so everyone's working together because once you figure out where the captain is, then we want to actually shoot them with a torpedo. I only got to play once. I was the engineer, I think. Yeah, I was the engineer. But it was really fun, and I really want to try all the other positions, too. I, I've
0: heard nothing but very good things about this game ever since Gen Con. It seems like it was kind of the the critical darling for most of the people who got to play it. And by the time this episode releases, I probably will have played it because my friend has a copy and we're planning on playing it at our weekly meetup, probably this coming week, actually. So by the time this episode's out, hopefully I'll be right there with you loving it. Mm-hmm. But I'm super excited to try it out. Yeah, Yeah, I really want to check it out, too. It's weird to me because there are not a lot of games. It's, I've heard that this one is truthfully best with either six or eight players, and that's kind of rare. Like You have a lot of games that can accommodate that many players, but sometimes are better with less. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's cool that this game functions best at its highest player count.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a convention game because you need all of the roles there. So you need four people per team. I guess with six players, one person can play two roles or something.
0: Technically, you can play it with two and four as well.
1: That would probably be hard.
0: I would imagine with four, like each person would have two roles. I know it can be played 1v1, one one, and somebody on Twitter was saying that that's, it's a lot of fun that way, but I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it varies in the player count, but like, if you have to play all the roles, that, I can see that being really hard.
0: I imagine it's there's, it's, there's probably some modifications when you play it as a two-player game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There'd have to be. Recently, um, I've been playing a, quite a bit of Marrakesh. If you're not familiar, uh, it's two to four players. It's much better with four. And each person has different colored rug tiles, rug pieces, actually. They're little felt pieces of rug that you're laying on a board. So one of the, my favorite things about this game is the unique um, bits, because they're not, they're not wood, they're not cardboard. They're little felt pieces of carpet. That's actually really cute. (laughs) I love it. So the way the game plays is you roll a die. You roll a D6, which has up to four spaces you can move. So there's one, one space, two, two spaces, two, three spaces, and one, four space. So you can move up to four, but most likely you're going to move two or three. And once you move, you can place your piece of carpet Anywhere around the little dude you moved. And everybody moves the same dude. So if I move the little guy, then Ambi would roll. And Ambi moves the little guy. And then you place your rug wherever you land. So you're placing it either on an empty slot or over somebody else's piece of rug. And whoever has the most coins and the most open rug pieces on the board at the end of the game wins. Also, if you your little guy lands on somebody else's rug you have to pay them for each square of rug. So if it's a four-piece square rug that they have, you have to pay them four coins. And you can be knocked out of the game by having to give everybody money and not having any money left. Aww. (laughs) But I really enjoy it because it's just, I like the uniqueness of of the pieces.
0: Well, and we've been, I mean, it seems like, especially since Gen Con just happened, we've kind of been a little bit cult of the new recently and talking about a lot of newer <laughs> games, but Marrakesh is an older game. That's um, almost 10 years old now. It came out in, what, I think 2007? Um, Somewhere. Yes. Yeah, that that's right. Spoiler alert, I looked on Board Game Geek. I actually <laughs> didn't too! Know. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: does,
0: is this one... I've never played it before. Is this readily available? Like, Is it still being printed? Is it still available to get pretty easily, or is this one out of print right now?
2: I actually found it at a local shop, and they had three or four copies. So I would imagine it's still pretty readily available.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. And I'm seeing, it looks like based on what I'm seeing on board game geek, that Amazon does have it available for like 35 bucks. So that's definitely not an out of print type price. So that's cool. And I mean, I'm looking at the pictures, the little rug oh. pieces look <laughs> super cute. I I love it. Unique components are great.
2: The first time I played, I played somebody else's copy and I think it must've been an older print because the rug pieces were, actual rug now they're felt oh okay so i wish i had picked up an older copy of it because i liked the tactile of the rug better than the felt but the felt sticks to each other better so when you're like stacking on top of other rug pieces it doesn't move around as much on the board which is probably a plus
0: Okay, yeah, I think the pictures I'm looking at might be from the original version, but mm-hmm. I mean, I can see how the felt is definitely helpful for making sure stuff doesn't slip around. So, again, back to the cult of the new. <laughs> <laughs> I recently got to play Star Trek Ascendancy, which I'm actually not sure how... if it's, I think it's available in retail either now. Well, by the time this episode releases, I think it's available, but it just came out really at Gen Con. They were selling copies of it there, and... I am a big Trek fan, (laughs) in case you guys hadn't figured that out yet. I don't know. We haven't talked about Star Trek stuff that much, but Star Trek Ascendancy is a 4X game from Gale Force 9. It's for three players, and it was published just now, 2016. For those who aren't aware, a 4X game is a game that involves the four Xs, which are Explore, Expand, Exploit, and Exterminate. In Star Trek Ascendancy, the three players control three races of people from the Star Trek universe the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans. And they must build ships, leave their homeworlds to explore new planets and new phenomenons, and encounter other cultures and races and civilizations on those planets. You collect resources, you gain skills and abilities, and you upgrade your shields and weapons, and you can fight the other players for control of the planets and the resources on those planets. There's two ways to win the game, either by collecting five ascendancy points, which are obtained through gaining culture within the game, or the other way you can win is by controlling the home worlds of all the other players. Based on, again, I've only played the game once now. The second one seems to be difficult to do, even if you're like the Klingons who have cool battle abilities. It seems like... Generally, this game is going to be won through the Ascendancy Points, but I haven't played it enough to know for sure. There's two expansions for this game that are coming out later this year that are going to add two new races, which are the Cardassians and the Ferengi. And that, those expansions will allow the game to go up to four and five players respectively. But it is interesting that out of the box, this game is for three players only. You cannot play it with just two. It has to be three, which is fairly uncommon. The game is amazing. I adore Star Trek, all things Star Trek, and this game captures the feel of the Star Trek universe better than any other Trek game that I've played up to now. It is a long game. It takes a long time to play. So if you're looking for something quick and easy, this is not something that you're going to want to go for. But I appreciated the fact that the rulebook was actually upfront about this. It said in the rulebook that experienced players can expect a playtime of around one hour per player. So for a three-player game, around three hours. But it says that for your first few games, it will take longer than that. And that was definitely accurate. We played for much longer than three hours. So I don't know for sure once we're experienced if the three hours will be 100% accurate. But based on what I've seen, I think that that's pretty spot on. The game contains a ton of stuff. Lots of plastic miniatures that look awesome. Lots of little plastic components for like... The resources on the planets. There's these little bases with different types of nodes that produce different things, and they're all like this translucent pr- plastic, and they look really cool. They're all very well made. But interestingly, though, in the first print run of the game, Gelforstein forgot to include the dice. There's no <laughs> dice in the box. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I, so what I've heard is that at Gen Con, when like, people purchased the game, they were literally handing them a bag of dice alongside it because there's no dice in the game wow. to start off with. Luckily, the only dice required in this game are a bunch of D6s, which you can grab from practically any other game. And then there's one custom die, but the only thing that's custom about it is it's, it's six-sided, its but it has 2-2-3-3-4-4 two, two, three, three, four, four on it. So mm. we were just able to use a regular D6 and obviously 1-2 two equals 2, Two, three, four equals three, etc. So that wasn't a big deal, but it is slightly embarrassing that they forgot to include the <laughs> dice in the box. Hey guys, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I imagine in future print runs that will not be the case, but um, if you're picking up a first edition of the game, that might be something to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, if you like Star Trek and you want a game that captures the feel of Star Trek without like it's it there's no specific characters like you're not playing as the characters from the TV shows or the movies you're playing as the races but you are controlling the entire like i played as the federation and i'm controlling the entire federation i'm not control i'm not a captain i'm not a ship i'm all of it so It's big, and it's fun, and I cannot tell you how much I love this game. And it just so happened that it fit in with our theme this week, so that worked out really well. Because I literally, as of the date of this recording, I played the game last night, and I'm super excited about it. I will be adding this to my collection. I imagine similarly to Battlestar Galactica and Runebound, which I've already talked about before as two of my favorite games, this is moving to the top of my favorites list, or near the top, but I probably won't get to play it as often as I would like because of the length and the player count requirements. I don't care. I'm probably buying it anyway. It's so good. I highly recommend this game for especially fans of Star Trek or fans of 4X games in general, because I think it's more accessible than a lot of other 4X games.
1: So I've never watched Star Trek things. (laughs) So would, would people who don't know Star Trek still enjoy
0: it, you think? I think you would, because there isn't, it's not like, Unlike Firefly Legendary Encounters that I Mm -hmm. talked about last week, which has a lot of, like, little bits and pieces of information from that TV show in it that make the experience better, this game doesn't have all of those little details. I think, truthfully, this could be likened more to the Firefly the board game, where instead of playing in the TV show or in the movie, you're just in the universe. So you don't have to have any real knowledge of that universe to enjoy the game. But, like... There are little things, like the Klingons in Star Trek are very aggressive. They they don't ever back down. They think death in battle is a good thing. Like, you mm-hmm. sh- dying when you're not in battle is a bad thing to a Klingon. So, like, one of their uh, hindrances as a race is they're never allowed to back out of a fight. Once they're mm-hmm. in a fight, they have to stay in it until someone's dead. So that's that's thematically accurate to the show, but you don't need to know anything about the Klingons to appreciate that little fact, I guess I don't mm-hmm. know. but I think you do not need to be a fan of Star Trek to enjoy this game. If you like 4X games and you like sitting down for four or five hours <laughs> and really digging into a game where you're exploring new stuff and you know encountering other people, that it's a lot of fun anyway. Cool.:
1: Since our theme this week is space for our accessory of the week, we're going to talk about things that can save space in our work. <laughs>
2: oh that's funny Space savers. <laughs> Yeah,
1: So other than things like storing all of your expansions in one box, what other specific accessories have you guys used that can save space? I actually use little
2: silicone cupcake holder things, like silicone cupcake Cupcake liners. Yeah, cupcake whatever, words. (laughs) Cupcake liners. Silicon cupcake liners when um, I'm playing games with lots of bits. So I have some games that actually just... I keep them in with the game so when we're playing the game instead of having the bits like all over the table and taking up way more space than necessary, they're in each they each have their little silicone cup so they're not all over the table they're not falling on the floor the cats are not trying to knock them on the floor and <laughs> it's just so much easier and it does save quite a bit of space actually. That's smart and I mm-hmm. imagine it makes game cleanup a little easier as well. Oh yeah I use I use them with keyflower especially. yeah, it's definitely a space saver.
0: I think you made a good point, Ambi, about at the beginning there, like putting expansions in with the base game is definitely a way to save space. Cause like, it's tough for me because sometimes when I teach a game, I don't want to teach it with all of the expansion content. And when you box it up all together, you're saving space, but sometimes it's kind of hard to separate it back out, depending mm-hmm. on the game and how well parts are labeled. So like for kingdom builder, I have my expansion in with the base game, but it barely fits in there. Admittedly, I ordered a big box for that game that's coming in the next few months from Kickstarter. But then Battlestar Galactica, I have the base game and I have one of the expansions, but I still have them in separate boxes because that game is really tough to teach people for the first time. And so I like just using the base game first. Mm -hmm. Something that I saw recently on Kickstarter was something called the BitBox, The Kickstarter campaign already ended. It's gone. So I don't know if they're doing late pledges or anything like that. But it's a system where they're basically saying, throw your original box out the window and you can store the boards and components for a whole bunch of different games in this one storage system in a much smaller footprint. Like it condenses everything, which for traveling, stuff like that for me is helpful. Like I sometimes will take a bigger box and then throw a bunch of smaller games in it. If there's extra space to make stuff a little more portable. But as far as the games on my shelf, I'm, I'm really attached to like seeing the boxes and the names of each game. Because if there's like, if I don't know what I want to play, when I look at my shelf, sometimes something will just jump out at me. And so if I stored everything together in like a nondescript looking box, I feel like those games might get played less frequently because I'm not seeing them like, as overtly on the shelf. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Same here. Like I, I want to have my boxes showing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I
0: know it takes up space, but it also looks really cool. So <laughs> I suppose if I lived in like a, if I lived in a small apartment or something like that, then the bit box or something similar would be really helpful because when space is at a premium, then you do have to do something. Because if you want to buy more games and you don't have the shelf space for them, something like that could come in really handy. Yeah.
2: though all like the little game boxes, like Love Letter and Timeline and stuff like that, I could really do without having all of those on my game shelf. So I think something like that would be great for those small games. That's true. Because they fall over a
0: lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say, and I'd say the only other thing that kind of relates to all that would be like, a lot of game boxes come with inserts that... Aren't super well thought out or made. They're just kind of there to hold everything in. So while I cannot ditch the boxes themselves because I'm too attached, I will often ditch the insert. Especially, spoiler alert, I love Fantasy Flight as a company. They make <laughs> wonderful games. Their inserts, they're functional. They do what they need to do. They don't have to be fancy, but they're awful so I will usually ditch those and then there's usually a lot of empty space in those boxes so I think that is good because then you could either if you're traveling with it throw another game in there or if you buy an expansion easily throw it in with the rest of the stuff so replacing inserts with other stuff is definitely a way to save space
2: as well what are some game boxes that you have that are just absurdly large for what's in the game for me, it's Splendor comes to mind because it's just some cards and some little tokens. And that box is just huge.
0: That's true. But at least that one has a good looking insert. Like the actual it has like indentations for oh, the yeah. individual cards. Oh, yeah. No, parts. the
2: insert is really great, but it's... It is needlessly big. <laughs> oh, man. And Gravwell. Gravwell doesn't even need a box. <laughs> oh, that's true. Gravwell. Yeah, no, that
0: one is pretty ridiculous. Even, truthfully, the base game for Battlestar Galactica does not need Mm -hmm. a lot of space at all in its box. And the box is the same. It's that that standard ticket-to-ride size box, and it does Mm. not need all of
1: that. Well, a lot of LCGs, like card games, are like that, too. But then you can put all the expansions in the box, too. But the expansions come in their own boxes. Yeah, so ascension. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, so with Dominion, we had a bunch of expansions, and then we ended up buying a baseball card holder, like this box for baseball cards and just put all the dominion cards in there. And that was saved a lot of space. Card boxes can
0: definitely be mm-hmm. helpful. We have a lot of those around my house because my husband plays a lot of magic, the gathering. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of card boxes. I've, I've borrowed some of his before to like bring, Oh, two rooms in a boom is another example. Like I can throw <laughs> the cards for that game in yeah. a card box. <laughs> Admittedly, at least it's, that box is small already. Like right. It's not a not, huge box. It's not huge for sure. Going along with our space theme this week, we wanted to just briefly mention some games that we like that have a space theme or take place in space, or I suppose that you could play on the space shuttle if you were an astronaut, but that probably (laughs) doesn't apply to a lot of our listeners. And in case anyone's wondering, we have mentioned some of the more popular space games in past episodes, so if we don't mention one that you think would be an obvious mention, then... That's probably why, because we don't want to repeat ourselves too much, even though I say Battlestar Galactica at least five times in every episode now. so <laughs> And you already mentioned it in this one. Oh, I've mentioned it. I think I've said it like three or four times already. So I you know, have to get up to the quota. So Battlestar Galactica, Battlestar
1: Galactica. <laughs> one of my favorite space games is Space Alert. It's a real-time game. I like real-time games, if you can't tell. <laughs> but, so, so Space Alert is by Vlada Hrabadl. And it's a cooperative real-time game where you're all on a spaceship trying to survive for 10 minutes. In Space Alert, you have programmable movement where you're laying down cards to move your little guys and push buttons to try to defeat the aliens. So I think it's really fun. It's pretty hard to learn, but once you have a group of people who know how to play it, it can be really fun and we always play multiple times in a row just trying to get better and better. Now, I know we just
2: talked about um, Legendary Encounters
1: Firefly
2: last uh, last episode, but I really, really enjoy Legendary Encounters Aliens and Predators, and I love that I can combine the two and just play as much of that universe as I want. Yeah, we went super into detail last (laughs) episode on Firefly, and it's basically the same concept. You're all playing together. You got lots of cards, a ridiculous amount of cards, an absurd amount of cards, like the amount of cards that are in this game is just ridiculous. And so everybody's playing together and you're trying to play through the aliens universe and, you know, kill all the face huggers and all the fun stuff, but it's, I really enjoy it. And I actually really enjoy it because it's one of the few games that the boyfriend will actually play with me. Well, and something that I don't think we
0: mentioned last week, that is interesting to mention is the legendary encounters. Games are constructed in ways that you can combine any of the sets together Mm -hmm. like the firefly game actually has some rules in it like they have some markings on some of the cards that don't apply to the firefly game at all but they're there in case you want to combine those cards with the other ones because like i guess in some of the other legendary encounters players can attack each other or maybe that's in the regular legendary i'm not sure but there was like shields on some of the cards that didn't apply in the gameplay at all so i thought that was interesting It is interesting. Yeah. I, when it comes to space games, I like Star Trek, as I've already mentioned. I'm also, I also enjoy Star Wars and uh, Imperial Assault is a ton of fun. Imperial Assault is a cooperative one V all campaign style game. You can play it uh, as individual games in skirmish mode, but it's meant to be played as a campaign where everyone controls a character and you go through different scenarios within the Star Wars universe and it's similar to another game called Descent. If anyone's played that, which is a dungeon crawling game, and I had played the first edition of Descent before, and Imperial Assault takes those rules and tweaks them and makes them better. So I like it, Imperial Assault more, and it it was it, it did a good job of capturing the the feeling of the Star Wars universe. Which I, I continue to repeat myself, but like I love games where the theme shines, but the where the gameplay doesn't suffer for it. So Imperial Assault's a lot of fun.
2: So another space game um, that really fits in our theme of space (laughs) is Cosmic Encounter. A classic! I wouldn't say I particularly enjoy Cosmic Encounter. Um, We play it a lot in our group, and they actually call it Space Friends. And they call it (laughs) Space Friends because you are all sort of playing against each other, but you have to attack each other's ships and I guess it's not ships it's more like stations. You have to attack each other's stations and in order to do that you really need the assistance of some other players to get to get ahead and to have more combat versus who you're fighting and everything. So you have to make friends with the people that you're playing with more often than not, I end up seeing multiple people winning together in this game, but it's usually not the person that you were friends with in the beginning of the game, so I like to call it Space Frenemies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've, I've never played Cosmic Encounter, and I know that it is a classic game that like pro- probably every board gamer should play at some point in their life, but it's very combative even I know you can build those alliances, but i've I know that it's like you're attacking people pretty much nonstop in that game, and that's definitely not something I typically enjoy doing in games, but because it is so well liked in the community, I know it's Tom Bassell's favorite game. I would love to play it at some point maybe maybe this year at MeepleCon, i'll uh grab a copy of it from the library and see if Tom will sit down and play it with me because I know the Dice Tower <laughs> guys are coming to Meeplecon this year again
2: yeah, and even though even though you make those alliances they they don't last <laughs> you've got that alliance for like five minutes and then somebody's like no, i gotta attack you now so alliance over we're not friends anymore oh that's harsh <laughs> and then yeah. you're friends later and then it's just i don't know i can't it's i don't i don't like direct combat in my board games and there's too much of that in this for me
0: i think yeah. that i will feel similarly but i do want to try it For this week's board game etymology, I'm going to discuss the origins of the word space. We're going to look at the origins of the noun form rather than the verb. The word dates back to the 13th century when its definition was extent, area, or room to do something. It was a shortening of the old French word espace, which meant period of time, distance, or interval, and that was from the 12th century. That word came from the Latin word spatium, which was defined as room, area, distance, or stretch of time. So the definition hasn't really shifted a whole lot from beginning to end. The astronomical sense of the word, meaning having to do with outer space, came about sometime during the 17th or early 18th century, but it didn't actually become commonly used until the 1890s. Sir Fred Hoyle of the London Observer made an astute observation in 1979 when he said, space isn't remote at all. It's only an hour's drive away if your car could go straight upwards. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, and Board Game Geek Guild. If you enjoy our show, please take a couple minutes out of your day to write a review on your podcast supplier of choice. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Have suggestions for the show? Shoot us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Until next time, Blitz, The Final Frontier. These are the episodes of Three Women Who Love Gaming. Their continuing mission to explore strange new games. To seek out more fun and new cool accessories. To boldly podcast like no women have done before. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so, going along with our theme, this we always say "so" at the beginning of what? everything. I just <laughs> always like,
1: and that you have programmable you have programmable you have. <laughs> I think we
2: found our outtake. (laughs) You almost made me spit out my
0: coffee. (laughs) Program what did you say? Programmable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dying, I'm sorry. Oh Ah, that was good.